fishing. I mean, I'm talking about some of the most ridiculous topwater, um, most aggressive bass that I've ever seen. Welcome back to the Stripe Bass Hunt podcast. Uh, it's been a while, uh, <laughs> which is kind of a, a big understatement. It's been the whole winter, uh, pretty much. Now we're getting into spring. Um, and the reason I, I didn't do a podcast, and there's no real good reason why I haven't been able to do a podcast, uh, but I was one, you know, really working hard on building the sh fishing shed. But um, the other thing is I've recorded legitimately six podcasts and in every single one of them, something has gone wrong. And then I procrastinated and not wanted to do another one right afterwards. And so, you know, it's just kept getting pushed back and further and further and further. So I apologize about not being able to put out podcasts. And I was super humbled by the amount of people that were contacting me uh, through DMs saying that they really love the podcast. I need to bring the podcast back. Uh, so hopefully, fingers crossed, for the love of God, can we get this podcast to not have a problem <laughs> to get it through? Because um, it's literally been an absolute struggle. And I feel like I've streamlined the process right now. I have everything set up perfectly to how I, I've done it in the past. I got a, a, you know, a little bit bigger, beefier computer this time. So hopefully that will be the the thing that will help us out in the long run here because whether it's if it's not the audio that's the problem it's the video and it's just been an absolute nightmare the whole the whole ride through it so um i'd also apologize if i'm looking at my computer because i see myself there and so i'm going to be checking that a lot sorry um uh, but it is what it is okay so uh let's get into it uh i mean the winter has been a very interesting time for me i've been really focusing mostly on trying to really like build my Instagram and uh, work on getting out photos and content for you there throughout the winter. Uh, and as I said earlier, I really was focusing on actually making this fishing shed. Uh, as you can see, it came out pretty well. I got a bunch of plugs up on the wall. Um, I was really, you know, organized everything. I have everything labeled. You can kind of see it over there, everything that's labeled. Uh, and I, I was super focused on that because I feel like one of the most major things for me is streamlining my uh, productivity. And the best way for me to do that is just to be really super organized. Um, I'm gonna be guiding this uh, this summer and I'm super excited to be guiding this summer. Um, and one of those things that's very important for me is gonna be having everything that's organized and being able to easily uh, and quickly set everything up, get rods and reels set up to the best of, of you know, my ability um, and get everything rolling. And hopefully this season's gonna be the best season yet. Uh, I feel like it's, it's I've been very fortunate uh, to really each year just make huge leaps and bounds in my fishing. And I feel like that's how it goes. You fish as much as I do, you learn so much every single season. I've been really fortunate, especially last season to meet some of the best fishermen surfcasters in the world uh, and uh, talk with them and kind of pick their brain on certain things. So I feel like last year I probably had my biggest leap in in knowledge uh, than in the years past, just because I, I got to meet a bunch of really 
really smart fishermen. And I feel like it's very interesting because the one thing that I found with a lot of the best fishermen is they're almost like students of the game uh, where they love to learn, uh, they love to experiment, and they love to really uh, break down why, uh, I guess, the why of surf casting. Uh, and what I mean by like the why uh, is like, uh, if you have a really good bite one day and then the next day the bite is completely dead, what do you do and why did that happen? Uh, and that's something that I've had to me happen personally to me, uh, and other people. And it's all about like, you know, the little details, the bait, the wind, the tide, the moon, everything has plays a little factor into it. And, uh, these people that I've talked to are just tend to really do a good job of breaking that down uh, and really do a good job of utilizing those like fishing logs and other stuff to really help them be a step above the game. And that's why like at the end of the day, you gotta put in the amount of time that these guys have to be able to catch the big fish. And you, I mean, a lot of people wonder like, how does this person catch such big fish? And it is just true just it's so true uh, that all those people spend a ridiculous amount of time off the water doing their homework and writing in their logs and doing a lot of inf like a lot of work on the back end to be able to catch those fish uh, when it actually matters. So one major part and reason why I actually stopped doing the podcast is because I really wanted to get on some more guests. And the reason I wanted to get on more guests is just because I did almost whatever it was, almost 40 episodes, maybe even almost 50 episodes. I don't know. It was something like that. I, I This is season two of the Stripe Bass Hunt show or Stripe Bass Hunt show. Season two of the Stripe Bass Hunt podcast. Uh, and so um, we're that, that's what I'm doing here. It's season two. So I'm, I'm super excited about that. Uh, and I hope this thing is not too loud on us here. Uh, but yeah, so I, we're doing season two for the Stripe Bass Hunt podcast. Uh, and I'm hopefully going to get on some of those people that I talked to this past year and uh, hopefully get on some guests. But, you know, I've thought a lot about how all sorts of people, well, I thought a lot about bringing the podcast back just as me saying, you know, what I, I say and talking about my ex personal experiences and telling the stories from this past season and what I've learned and everything like that. Uh, and I've learned so much throughout the season. I documented a lot of that via the podcast. I stopped kind of in August, so I kind of want to pick up from there. Uh, August was a very interesting time. Uh, I think probably the last thing that you guys heard me talk about would have been uh, the really crazy blitz that I had off of the beach and uh, getting into those 30 pound, 40 pound fish that were was just the most ridiculous fishing I've ever been a part of. And, you know, I talk about like peanut bunker and what I've come to realize is that a lot of people, peanut bunkers, like five or six inch peanut bunker. For us on Cape Ann, at least in my personal experience, we get these really, really small peanut bunker that are maybe an inch to two inches long. They're not, and they can be smaller than an inch too. I mean, they're really small compared to other places uh, where a lot of the time the peanut bunker that they're referring to is like four, maybe five inches long. Uh, and that's something that I've always, I never really thought about until I was watching some videos and talking to some other guys that fish more in New York, New Jersey, and they're talking about peanut bunker. And, uh, I was like, wow, our peanut bunker is a lot smaller than what they're dealing with. So 
the thing that I was really curious about was um, why such like generally like there was generally and this is very generally but you know I guess the saying is even elephants eat peanuts so even monster striped bass will eat small peanuts but it was very interesting to me that that school of peanut bunker that were really small peanut bunker drew in such huge fish and it was actually pretty shocking to me uh when i went out there in my log and in my past experience it's one of the first places that we get blitzes i went there just to poke around literally i was just poking around just to check it out i had it written in my log it's a roughly this week um and you know it i tend to like poke around in the evening i'll swing by that beach and always check it out because Generally, you can get some pretty sick blitzes on that beach. And most of the time, they're maybe 20 to like 30 inch fish. Rarely are they into the 40 inches. And I've never in my life seen it into the 45, 50 inch range. And that is something that was super shocking to me. Uh, and I, I really wondered why. And it was very interesting to me because as the season progressed and as the year went throughout the fall, that was the main biomass of big fish that moved through. Uh, and I don't know why that they did so early, or but it was just pretty shocking to me because after that huge group of monsters moved through, uh, we had um, not very good fishing after that. I mean, the fishing was slow uh, and eat, like everybody and like even some of the best fishermen that I know of were not catching big fish uh, around me. And I was just like, man, this is like, this sucks right now. And they're like, yeah, welcome to fall run 2020 because it's absolute garbage and that was so funny because i always thought that you know the fall run to me is always like a bunch of schooly bass and you generally get on pretty solid bites whether they're blitzing or not they're just around in a good amount uh and it's one of those things that you kind of you, you follow your logs you follow the wind okay if the wind's blowing here then it's going to push a bunch of bass and bait in here and you're probably going to have a decent bite that's just from my personal experience then that exact thing was happening in in times that you know i was fishing at night in past years and catching bass that were like 40 43 inches i was getting none of that that was not even happening it was mainly during the day and they were and if you were to catch those like big fish it was an absolute grinder i mean i'm talking six hours of absolutely not a hit and then maybe you'll get like a 42 uh which is really tough especially on new fishermen and people that are not as experienced to not be getting any action and six hours later get one hit that's all you get all night that's like it's brutal that was pretty tough and a hard pill to swallow because i was like wow it went from some of the most lights out topwater fishing i'm talking about i had five bass over 45 or no i had eight bass over 45 inches in an hour uh one day it was like some of the most ridiculous fishing as I kind of like, like uh, compared it to was like the Cape Cod Canal in its heyday. Like that was, and I never really fished the Cape Cod Canal in its heyday, uh, maybe once or twice. But um, all I heard was, you know, it was ap epic fishing where you'd have those days where you could get eight forty-five inch bass. And that's what it was sounding like to me. Like the fishing that I was having was really, really productive. And I thought that that was something that was really, uh, really kind of cool and actually really encouraging. I was, I was thinking to myself, this is like 
really encouraging for the future. The future stocks seem to be pretty decent in that upper class. Now, as a lot of us found, there was a missing chunk of fish that were like that really 28 to 35 inch class fish it was just not there. Uh, and I honestly saw a good amount of them later in the fall, but I'm talking about late, late in the fall. I'm talking about uh, end of October, uh, like, yeah, like very end of October, there was a handful of bass. I was using black and purple, uh, black and purple SP minnows. And I was just reeling them. I was crawling them through boulder fields and I was getting like 33s and 34s and 28s and 29s. And that was like solid fishing. Uh, and for, for what it is, I mean, what it was at that point, but I guess it kind of got better towards the end. And I really did well on bucktails, um, during the day, which is kind of shocking. Uh, I know bucktails are killer plugs, but you don't really, uh, see like a bucktail producing like that in just random conditions. I mean, I had a handful of bass that were 40 inches. I broke off in a bass that was probably 45 inches in like, this was like within the October 20 range. Like it was, uh, I don't know if it was like the 22nd or 24th. It was like around then of October, which is for Cape Ann, a fairly late large fish like that. Like you don't normally see bass like that. I mean, if you catch a 40 inch bass or bass into the, well, really, if you catch a bass in the mid thirties, that's like pretty crazy for late October. I know it happens, but, uh, it just, it doesn't, I, I personally, that's never even come close to that. Most of the time, if I'm getting bass that are in the low thirties, I'm like shocked. And, uh, that was a really, really big fish. It was probably 30 pounds, 30 plus pounds, but it ended up breaking me off because I was using super light tackle, but I fought it for a while. It was up on the surface. I got a good look at it. it was, I'm not like really exaggerating here. It was a solid fish, but for how the fall was, that was kind of the average fish we were getting. I would say in our fall run started, I feel like fairly early, but, um, for as well for that, like main bulk migration, uh, I thought it started pretty early. Uh, it turns out that, you know, it probably ended up starting even earlier. I'm talking about maybe the first, second week of, of August, we were seeing bait migrations. Uh, at least I was personally seeing a lot of peanut bunker kind of getting flushed out of, uh, like estuaries and, or flushed into like harbors and back bays, which I'd personally not seen before. And I thought that was kind of crazy to see that early. Uh, and that's when I immediately started looking at the beaches and was like, okay, this should happen pretty soon because I, in my log, it says the third week of August, I started to see some blitzes on this beach. And I first day that I went and looked, which I don't know if it was like the second or third week of August, uh, there were some that, I mean, there are tons of peanut bunker and then probably hundred yards, 200 yards offshore, too far to cast. It was like probably just out of casting range. There was just freight training monster fish that were so big that I couldn't compute in my head that they're actually as big as they were. And they kept getting closer and closer and closer. And I had this tiny, this, this light carbon surf, uh, which I'll talk a lot more about. This is my spring setup and I want to get into, you know, early spring fishing, but let's just end the fall here. So you guys get caught up to what happened in during my, the end of my fall. But, uh, I ended up hooking into a 43 on that rod and I was like, so shocked by that. It was, um, it, it, like, I thought it was, just, I thought it was like, oh, it's 25 inches. No, they were like 40 to 48, 50 inch fish. They're huge bass. Um, and I ended up catching like a 35 pound fish 
on the GSB Skinner. So it's the nine foot two rod uh, later that day. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was absolutely nutty fishing and hopefully I can actually input some photos here. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. But, uh, I'll throw some photos down from that day. I mean, it was pretty awesome fishing and, um, yeah, I was super stoked by that. So moving on here. So, um, we had, uh, I, I so, okay. I keep kind of bouncing back and forth in my, um, my fall fishing. Uh, because from like late fall to like mid fall and early fall, but let's go chronological here. Started off with those crazy blitzes. Then probably two days later, I was off the off Boulder Fields throwing six inch yellow over white Pumba plugs, small Pumba pencil, which might have a name change soon. Stay tuned for that. Um, anyway, I was using that plug and I was crushing, and I mean crushing, huge huge bass. And I'm talking all of these bass. I was also using the large Magnum Walker as well. Um, the Puma plugs, large Magnum Walker. And that was the, the day where I was getting those, all those big fish. Then probably I would say after that bite died, which lasted about two days where I had like really good action, um, with monster bass, which I might throw some photos in right now. Uh, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. But once that bite died, I'm talking about dead. I'm talking about nobody was getting a bass over 30 inches. I mean, that was like really humbling because you went from just hot, hot heat fishing. I mean, I'm talking about some of the most ridiculous top water, um, most aggressive bass that I've ever seen. You could throw anything out there. You can work it as hard as you want. And those bass are coming up and crushing it. Uh, and that was just so shocking to me. And, um, so then, so that's how my kind of that time period was so hot. And then I went to debt, uh, probably well, I'm talking about late August or like from like probably, yeah, like late August to early October was quiet. And then all of a sudden, um, the blitzes started back up again in late October. We had some of the most epic blitzes. I actually wasn't here for like some, the two or three days of it being the hottest. I actually wasn't here. I was getting DMs from, or DMs, I was getting text messages from a guy that was back here. And he was like, dude, where are you? And I was like, I'm in Montauk, but which was a fun experience. And I was catching fish, but they were crushing bass from 25 to 35 inches. And it was every single cast from, you know, first light to last light all day long. You could get bass and in certain areas, you'd get some significantly larger fish uh, and that were like 40 inches. Um, and so there, there were some like really epic blitzes and these were all on peanut bunker. Uh, and in sort, in certain cases, they're, you know, transitioning to mackerel. Uh, there's like a lot of mackerel feeding on the peanut bunker and then they're a little bit bigger bass are feeding on the mackerel. I actually hate fishing for well, fishing, like mimicking mackerel when fishing for striped bass, because I don't know. I just always found that the bass don't really like feeding on mackerel when they're frothed up and zooming around because um, I, I honestly think they're too fast for them, but, uh, yeah, you can live line and mackerel and you're going to kill it on live lining mackerel, or if they're stuck in the Cape Cod canal, uh, you're going to be crushing them on mackerel. But, um, for some reason, I've just never had any real scenarios where I'm seeing bass like blitzing on mackerel. I just haven't personally seen it. Um, and I've seen some big schools of mackerel, but if for some reason the bass just stay away, 
Anyway, so I come back from Montauk and uh, this was the end of the blitzes. I think I had maybe two days where it was like, you know, you'd have like that early morning, few fish here, few fish there, blitzes. Um, I was chasing them around. It was a really good send off at the end of the season, but most of the bass were really small by that point. I'm talking only in the 20s. Um, and then we really started to get into like late fall, winter fishing. And the reason I say winter is because literally snowing. It was literally snowing and I was catching, catching fish. I actually didn't catch any fish during the day that it was snowing, but the like three or four days afterwards, I was catching bass. I even caught a bass that was 30 inches in November. I believe it was November 9th. November 9th was the last day I caught a fish. Uh, and it was, it was like 30 incher, which was pretty awesome. Uh, I know I heard of guys getting them into the November 15th on Cape Ann, which is absolutely mind blowing. That's like the latest I've ever heard of bass in, I also heard of guys getting bass in, in December on Cape Cod, which just, I guess, shows you how, uh, how late the season was and how like weird it was. It was just a strange season for many, many reasons. Um, but yeah, it was just really, it was a really strange season. So that was kind of the end of my season. Um, I, I didn't end up doing any podcasts, but then, uh, I ended up doing a lot of serious renovations, like on the fishing shed. And, uh, I did a lot of work with, you know, getting everything prepared and a lot of emails and whatever. So I, am dealing with like the business and then, um, now we're getting into early spring, which is something that I really want to talk about because it's, it's coming around the corner. We're really, really close to it. I'm probably a month away from bass on Cape Ann. And what I mean by that is what, what are we date? The date is the 28th of March right now. We're probably going to see bass around the, the 20, like around the 20th of April is probably when we're going to be seeing the first schoolie bass on Cape Ann. Um, and that's in select few estuaries and they might be semi holdover fish, uh, but they're going to be showing up around then, uh, which is super cool. So, uh, and hopefully I'll be able to do maybe a little traveling in April. Maybe I'll sneak to sneak down to like, New York, New Jersey, maybe I'll fish Connecticut, maybe I'll fish uh, Cape Cod and Rhode Island, that area, who knows? We'll just see how the season goes. We'll see how de desperate I get to catch fish. Uh, I'm pretty desperate right now, honestly. I'm like, I'm about to like drive. And when I'm like, when I, when I get the feels, you guys, certain, a few of you guys know what I'm talking about, but when you get the feels and cabin fevers to the max, uh, you gotta like, and you're like, okay, I need to get on a fish. Um, and I wanted to talk a lot about like the setup, the rod, the reel, the line, the lures, everything. I just kind of want to go through my early, early spring and I'm going to talk about fishing up to like before I can get onto what I would call like a trophy fish or like a large bass, anything over like 20 pounds. Uh, so working up to that size bass, um, we're talking about, we're going to get hopefully mid twenties and this setup, I would be comfortable fishing into the mid thirties. I mean, honestly, I've caught bass in the mid forties on this, but I would be comfortable fishing it, like targeting bass into like the mid thirties on this rod. But if you guys are in that position where you're hooking into a fish that is 45 inches, you could use this rod and you could, you could land it. And as you probably saw, if I put in the pictures, I've done it and I've caught some serious bass on this rod and I'm super stoked about it because it's turned into one of my favorite rods. Uh, and that is the Lamy Glass Carbon Surf. Uh, and this is the Knife Light. So the Lamy Glass Carbon Surf is one of the most underrated rods 
on the market right now. Uh, and the reason I say it's one of the most underrated rods is because uh, it is probably one of the best rods that I've used in a while um, for the price point. And what I mean by that is it's a very affordable rod, but uh, it fishes like, I mean, so I fish a lot of different rod companies I'm talking about. I fished Lamglass, I fished St. Croix, I, fish, I fished Century Pen, I fished a lot of different companies, Fuji, uh, and some of the most high-end rods that they have. And this is an awesome fast action rod for the money. I'm talking about it fishes like I, I know I have other fast action, other fast action rods that are whatever, like $1,200 rods. And they honestly fish like this rod. I mean, this rod fishes like a $1,200 rod, which is really extraordinary for the price point of being just under $200. I think, it, yeah, it's like, or maybe way under $200. I don't know. I forget what the actual price of this is, but it's under $200 for sure. Um, and so, but it fishes like a really solid rod. And the reason I say it, it why it fishes, like, the reason I'm going to say it, it fishes like that, uh, you guys are probably like, there's no way. Uh, the reason it is, is because the, uh, it's, so it's a very sensitive rod, meaning you can really feel everything that's going on when you're fishing soft plastics, any subtle, uh, plug that you're going to be fishing, you can really feel, uh, what the plug is doing how it's being affected by, you know, the, the current, the wind, the anything that's going on, the wave sweep, like you can really feel what's going on on the other side of your line. Uh, and that is really, really important when you're fishing for really small bass, really finicky bass, uh, ones that are early season, you need that extra sensitivity. But the thing that this rod does better than any other rod that I've ever fished, that is this light, is it has incredible backbone for how light it is. And what I mean by that is I was able to turn mid 40 inch bass with this rod in boulder fields. So I get a lot of crap for how heavy I fish. Um, and for good reason, because I do fish too heavy, but I don't lose bass. I probably give up casting distance and I probably give up certain bites, but I'd rather not hook a fish than hook it and lose it. So for my lightest setups here, I'm talking about, and I'll go with, this is like the expensive version of what I would fish. And then this is like the more affordable, uh, easier version of what I'd fish. And what I mean by that is like the reels. These are two great reels. Penn makes some extraordinary, extraordinary reels. This is a 3,500 Penn Slammer. Uh, and it is a great reel. The Penn Battle series is another incredible series of reel. Uh, and I highly suggest it if you want something that matches up really well with the price point, you want something that is cheap, cheaper, relatively speaking in the fishing world, but still is going to be able to handle any fish you can get. It's going to have fairly smooth drag and it's going to be, uh, or by fairly smooth drag, it has really smooth drag. The pen series, like the battles and the slammers have incredibly smooth drag, but they also have, um, they're fairly sealed reels as well. So if you dunk them, and you spray them down well and you wash them out and keep, make sure they're greased and you keep good care of them, you can really fish these hard. Uh, you can get sprayed by waves and everything and they really do stand up. The good thing about Penn is they have good customer service. So if they do break, you can like uh, send them back in. I'm not sponsored by Penn. So that's really my personal feelings towards them. Uh, and yeah, so I, I think Penn is a great reel. Also Van Stahl's 
So, and, but I have to say, Van Stalls, if you're gonna be fishing, especially the way that I fish, which is just really hard and I fish every day, there's no better reel than a Van Stall, and that's period. Uh, they have the Saltex reel that came out, uh, which I actually own a Saltex reel, but I broke it in literally, what was it? Two trips. I broke it in two trips and I broke it on like a 25 inch bass, it blew up the gears in on the inside of that reel and I had done nothing to it. I literally put it in my car, took it out into the estuary one day, fished it for a half hour, put it back in the car, drove it home, came back out the next day, fished it again in the estuaries and blew up my drag. I did nothing to that reel. I didn't drop it, didn't bang it, didn't do anything to the reel. The thing exploded, which I've never seen. Uh, I didn't even dunk it. So it didn't even get any, any salt water in it, but just like from that alone, I know for a fact that there's no way that that reel can even withstand a fraction of what, you know, the Van Stahl does just from that experience alone. Uh, I, there's no, I couldn't even imagine a Van Stahl uh, breaking like that so quickly. They're just too well built. Uh, and that's why Van Stahls are so awesome is because they're just such a hardy reel. You can really get sand, salt, uh, and really abuse the reel uh not really washed off very well and the thing will continue to perform all season long and for somebody like me that fishes 180 days a season and pretty much three times a day every day that's going to be you, you need a reel that's going to perform and it's not going to break uh and even to say the pens probably or by probably i know for a fact as i've fished primarily pens is my my uh go-to reel before uh and they, they don't hold up for me throughout the season the van stalls consistently hold up throughout the whole season. Uh, so I know that if I'm going to suggest like the best like combo for this rod, uh, I'm going to say that the Vanstall one VSX 150, I like to spool that with 30 pound braid. I have 30 pound Max Quattro, Power Pro Max Quattro braid on this. Uh, and I have that too. Uh, and for leader materials, I have a 80 pound barrel swivel, a Spiro 80 pound uh, power barrel barrel swivel to a tactical angler's 50 pound power clip uh, and the leader material I always use fluorocarbon because it's just a little bit more abrasion resistant it has nothing to do with it being more invisible I just think that it's just a little bit tougher has a little bit less stretch and uh, is a little bit more abrasion resistant so I use the blue label cigar in 30 pounds so I'm going 30 pound braid to 30 pound leader and that's what I fish for the estuaries and also like a little bit off the beaches, but I don't fish it very often I'm off the beaches because generally by the time I'm fishing off the beaches, there's some serious fish around and this is a little too light for what I like. So that is my setup. Uh, and again, I could, I mean, I've fished this uh, lamb glass uh, nine foot light carbon surf, which is rated from three eighths to two ounces. It's a moderate fast action. And the reason I like that it says kind of moderate fast is because uh, when you are fighting a big fish, the bend that is primarily in the tip, you do get the power all the way down to the butt of your rod and you can really turn these bass with this rod. And that's why uh, I can't say anything, can't say enough good things about this rod just because I've caught some serious fish on it and it's performed flawlessly for me. Uh, it casts really far and it's just a, it's just an awesome rod. If you want a fun, pretty cheap rod, to mess around with in the estuaries, I highly suggest, or in the back bays even, highly suggest this rod. It's a, such a fun rod uh, from bass that are smaller. I mean, you're, I'm talking like if you have like 15 inch bass all the way up to like 35 inch bass, 
this rod is like is just killer for that um, and it throws your whole spectrum as well and that's what I really like is both of these rods and both of these reels handle the uh, the plugs that I throw in the early early spring very well uh, and the reason I you know the the reason I fish these plugs here and this is like this is what I would say is a light bag um, and what I mean what I mean by that it's like a light spring bag and not like the bag itself and I'll get to the bags because that's something that's kind of changed a bit for me uh, in the past season is uh, I've gone through a couple different plug bags and I wanted to talk about that because it's a pretty frequently common asked question to me is what plug bags I'm using uh, what meter material what rod reel regardless so that's kind of why I wanted to go really in depth on that exactly what I use uh, for my rod reel combos uh, and yeah I'm gonna get into kind of the plugs and this is like what what do we have here one two three four five six seven different plugs I think so um, this these are like these are seven plugs that I use a decent amount uh, in the spring and uh, I really want to like if this is like this is kind of my light strike bag as what I mean by that is like if I'm gonna go uh, for a little mission and I just want a handful of plugs that can pretty much cover all of my bases uh, These are what I'm bringing with me and Sizes are gonna vary obviously depending on what's going on colors are gonna vary depending on what's going on but For you know the purpose of like these are the plugs I use these are the plugs that I use so let's start with the Algag with fish which I have on my uh, Carbon surf right now uh, I, this is a really, this like the smallest version of the Algae Whippet fish that they make that I have on that. That's not generally what I throw when I'm in the estuaries. But um, if you really are looking for like holdover fish and stuff, something that small is definitely something you can mess around with. Uh, and by the way, this is probably the size of the bunker, which is what, maybe three inches or smaller. If you see it on the camera, this is a small little thing. This is the same size as the bunker that those 48 to 50 inch bass were feeding on, which is just like, I can't even believe that. Anyway, so, uh, Algag Whippet fish, I use up to like probably an ounce and a half, uh, in the estuaries and that ounce and a half is like, that's pushing it. I mean, it's really gotta be like a new moon and cranking current for me to want to use something that's that heavy, but, uh, I'm using probably a, generally a half ounce to maybe an ounce Algag, Whippet fish, and they do really well in the estuaries. They don't, I mean, they catch some pretty serious fish in the estuaries, but for some reason, when the bass are, uh, you know, in there and they're feeding pretty heavily, they're a single hook. You can pretty much consistently catch fish on them. Something that I'm missing off of this is a small bucktail. Uh, I also kind of interchanged this with a bucktail uh, just because um, bucktails are really uh, productive, but they're a little bit hardier. They might not quite have the uh, finesse, uh, like pulling really finicky fish type deal that a soft plastic does, but they, they're pretty close. And I'd rather be throwing a bucktail than a soft plastic if the bass are of the same size and of the same aggressiveness to uh, one another. So uh, Algag Whippet fish are gonna be in my early, early spring bag because they just catch a lot of bass. They're easy to deal with. They're nice on the fish. They're not gonna chew up the bass too badly. Okay, so let's, and then obviously bucktails, I'm gonna be using around the same weights for the bucktails from like, you know, half ounce to maybe an ounce, maybe an ounce and a half if we're getting crazy, but that's like 
that's like pushing it a little bit. So anyway, so then I'm going to go into like, I guess another soft plastic that I do use a lot in the spring is the, uh, is a sluggo. A sluggo, uh, is a pretty awesome early spring, uh, bait. I, I this is a little bit big for what I'm going to be normally using. Uh, this is, I think a, a, maybe a nine or a 10 inch, uh, sluggo. Uh, and I'm going to be throwing mostly six inches, uh, it's like a six inch sluggo with an owner beast hook, which is what I have on right here. Uh, it's like, it, it's a weedless hook presentation. And I fished this in two different ways, uh, in the estuary in the estuaries. One way, if the bass are being really aggressive and they're feeding hard, uh, I fish them like an underwater spook. Uh, I have my rod at a low angle. I twitch it pretty consistently, like I'm working a spook across the surface of the water. And it does the same thing when it's swimming on the surface of the water, it goes, it darts back and forth on the surface of the water. And, uh, it, the cool thing about having the owner beast hook is where the weight is. It kind of sinks pretty straight and pretty vertically, uh, if that makes sense. So you can really get it to twitch back and forth in the water and kind of work it like a spook. And when the bass are feeding aggressively, it's a very productive way to work it. Another way I like to work it, if they're feeding a little less aggressively, is I do twitch, twitch, and I kind of pause it. And so what happens is it wiggles and it twitches and it swims and it looks like a, like a live bait. And then it pauses and it kind of floats and glides in the water because of that owner beast hook. And uh, the bass crush it on that pause. Uh, and it's like what I would equivalent, oh, well, what I would kind of do is twitch, twitch, like maybe that fast. Like if you're looking at my, my wrist or hearing my voice, twitch, twitch, and then you kind of let it go. Twitch, twitch, and then you give it a pause. Twitch, twitch, pause. Twitch, twitch, pause. And that's gonna get that, you know, that little uh, darting action. And then that pause is gonna be very fish-like. And if an injured bait fish is dying in the water, it's twitching around darting from side to side, and then it's kind of gliding through the water and it's just has got to get that bass to strike at it. So, um, the sluggos are definitely a, a really productive plug that I highly, highly suggest using. So another plug that I, I use a lot of, and now we're going to go into kind of like top water. Well, do you know what? We'll work our way up. We're talking soft plastics and we're talking, uh, you know, kind of subsurface. Now, why don't we talk about swimming plugs? So two swimming plugs that I use in the spring. I don't like using um, SP minnows very often. I, I said earlier in the uh, podcast that I, I fish them in the late fall. I also fish them in the early spring. And I'm talking about late, late fall and early, early spring. I'm not a huge fan of SP minnows, but you got to give credit where credit is due. They do produce pretty well in the late fall and early spring. I have an inline single hook. Uh, on the back and a small VMC uh, treble on the front. Obviously, this time of year and for plugs of this size, I like to crush the barbs. So I like to go barbless this time of year. Obviously, 90% of the bass you're going to be hooking into are going to be pretty small. There's no real point in having a barb because if you lose a fish that's 25 inches, you know, you're not going to be torn up about it. So uh, pinching barbs is... is fun and as well it's good for you because bass that are like 25 to 30 inches are the bass that are going to be shoving a hook in your hand uh almost 100 percent of the time uh it's very rare that you're getting a hook in the hand from a big big fish 
although it does happen. Uh, I, I think that it's much more common with those smaller bass. You fight them hard. They're pretty green when you get them in. They're thrashing all over the place. So to have barbless stuff is very good. Okay, so uh, SP minnows work well, and I like to really work them slow. I like to reel them slow and let them just waddle away, and they do that awesome swimming motion in the water, and I reel them slow and straight pretty much, and uh, that's pretty much the only way I'll fish them. I use them in the estuaries. I use them off the sandy beaches. Uh, I kind of let them go in the current. If there's strong current and I want a swimming plug and I don't want to throw my red fin, which I'll get to in a second, uh, I'll throw an SP minnow on. They kind of handle better in the uh, current. Uh, I'll let it drift in the current a little bit and they tend to swim just a little bit better in the current and work a little bit better in the current. So that's a, definitely a suggestion for me. Uh, if you're fishing a little stronger current, like an outflow or uh, yeah, pretty much like an outflow or on a sandy beach, maybe in an estuary where it's really cranking and you want to throw an SP or you want to throw a swimming plug and SP minnows is a pretty decent choice. So uh, I throw, I like in the early spring, I like to fish during the day a good amount. Um, nighttime is very productive, but also like, you know, late afternoon, evening when it's sunny out is actually some of the most productive times just because the water tends to be warmer and the bass are a little bit more frothed up when the water is a little bit warmer and they're feeling like, you know, summer and spring's coming, they're really feeding hard. Uh, I like to use kind of during those times, the yellow over white, obviously, uh, it kind of looks like a bunker color. Uh, I'm a huge fan of fishing anything bunker. I don't know why. I just think yellow over white kind of mimics that. Uh, so I like to throw stuff that kind of mimics bunker. And so that's kind of the SP minnow deal of either fish this in black and purple or like a chicken scratch. And that is like my go-to there. So, uh, then we're going to be going to the redfin. Uh, obviously, I, I, honestly, to be fair, I've not used the redfin that is this small, which is the, I believe the five inch version. Uh, so this is like a five inch redfin. It's awesome because it's small. It's going to really do well, uh, in the estuaries when the, the current isn't very strong or in the back bays when I'm just, uh, I'm hooking myself here because hooks are razor sharp. Um, like in the estuaries when the bait, uh, wow. When the current isn't very strong the back bay is, you can work this really slow up on the surface. You can reel a little bit faster and it dives a little bit deeper, but I really like the, the, the how this fishes. It fishes a lot like a um, Danny plug. And so just the, the way it works on the surface, the V wake it gives off, it just looks, I mean, obviously we know how good the, the large uh, red fins are, small one. I fished it, uh, not for fish, but just threw it around a bit. It's very, very good looking on the surface. I can't wait to throw this this spring. It's kind of going to be a new addition, but I know I'm going to love it, and I know I'm going to throw this a lot. I really like that V-wake action on the surface of the water just for plugs in general. I'm a huge fan of Danny plugs and the way they work on the surface, uh, and I think that this is going to be a, a huge addition to my back bay deal in the early spring. One of my favorite things to do is fish uh, in the, like around harbors where you have uh, very, when it's like, there's a lot of bait in the, the harbors there and it kind of pushes out and the water's a little bit warmer. It's another spot that I really like to fish when the, uh, the when it's like early spring because early spring is very productive for uh, where there's warmer water. And this kind of mimics a thin bait fish which they're fishing on a lot, they're feeding on a lot of bunker, and uh, it's just gonna be a very productive plug. I just have a feeling that this is gonna be 
one of my go-tos. And I'll keep you guys posted once the bass are in if I'm killing it on this or not. I mean, there's a very high chance that I'm catching nothing on this, but I cannot imagine that that's the case. It just looks so good. So now that we're kind of going up onto the surface a little bit here, uh, I wanted to talk about some poppers and small spooks. Um, the Stillwater Smack at Junior is uh, an absolute staple of my bag. You can work this in a few different ways. Uh, you can either walk it side to side like a spook, or you can just normal pop, pop, pause type deal where you're just giving it a few pops. And the, the awesome thing about this is they catch big fish and they also uh, attract a lot of fish in general. Uh, they're a great small plug that is like a conventional popper style uh, lure and it just sounds really good in the water. It really just gets those finicky bass to come up and hit the surface early in the spring. And I really love this little Stillwater Smack. I have some, I have a really old one I have from almost five, like, I don't know, this has to be eight to 10 years ago I bought that one. So that's a long, long time ago. Uh, and one of the first poppers I ever learned was the Stillwater Smack Junior. Uh, and then another extremely productive one is the Rebel Jumping Minnow. And the uh, Rebel Jumping Minnow is an absolute machine when it comes to catching big fish. And actually in late fall, uh, when I was catching those 43 inches, I was getting them on this. Uh, it's just, I, for some reason, this just catches big fish. Uh, and I don't know why, but it is so deadly on the schoolies, in the estuaries, back bays, any, even off the sandy beaches, you can throw this and it just kills. Uh, I don't know why, but it is one of the most productive spook little spooks you can out there on the market it's ridiculous uh and i highly suggest fishing this in the estuaries it can pull some big fish especially when the herring's around uh they feel a little bit more aggressive and they'll come up and crap like crush this thing it's just amazing so that's uh another really productive one i also use the puma plug walker which is a little bit bigger spook uh when there's a little bit bigger herring around and uh, then the other small pencil popper I like to use is a small cotton cordell. Uh, it's just really loud, really loud plug. Uh, if the fish are feeding really aggressively or are very active, you can throw this and it will cull in those bass from a far, far away away. It's just such a noisy, tearing up the surface plug. When those bass are starting to feed aggressive, this is a really fun plug to throw. Uh, I'm excited for this as well, uh, and it's gonna kill it. So that's a small, small cotton cordell there. Okay, the last thing I really wanted to, well, the, I have a few things I wanted to say before I wrap this up with this podcast, but um, surf bags. Uh, surf bags are something that uh, I've had a love-hate relationship with for a while now because I've been trying to find the best one for me. I finally broke down, got a custom Flatlander surf casting bag. Uh, this is a six tube, so it's enormous, but the reason I got the one that was so big is because I wanted to have the ability to, got, well, I wanted it for guiding, I guess, essentially, but the ability to carry tons of plugs in it. Uh, so I got it for guiding. Uh, I'm, I'm super stoked about it. I can fit everything I need in there and I can fit duplicates of it. It's a huge amount of space. I've never fished it though, so I can't really speak on that. The one that I wanted to kind of talk about, which is going to be my kind of my, make my, uh, not my main plug bag, but my, my go-to, uh, and it was my go-to for the second half of last year. It was the gear up bag. It held up really great. The gear up two tube bag held up really great. Uh, I beat it 
to hell and it literally looks uh fairly good and fairly fresh i mean if you you'd be surprised how how badly i treat my my plug bags uh just they're hanging off of me and i fall all the time in the, the really sharp boulder fields and this is just a really really like durable bag it's two tubes it pretty much can fit whatever you need in it uh and i've really enjoyed fishing with it so i'm super excited to continue to fish with this i have a three tube bag that somebody wanted to send me that's going to come in i'll do a whole review on that but for right now the two tube gear up bag is kind of going to be my you know if i'm going out by myself and i know what the bass are on this is a bag that i'm going to be using a good amount of okay uh yeah, and then I kind of wanted to tell like a story about like last spring. So uh, I was really, uh, last spring, I really, really wanted to catch a big fish in the estuaries. And my whole goal was to really target those big fish in the estuaries. And the more I dug into it, the more I talked to estuary specialists, uh, it seems like, well, many reasons. I did a, a lot of good things. You know, I fished the right spots. I fished it in the right tides. I fished the right lures, which was a live eel. You can't beat a live eel when you're targeting big bass. But I just struck out time and time again. The reason I was striking out so much is because, uh, number one, the striped bass fishery is in massive decline. There's not a lot of really big fish around. And like in the fall, they move in waves. And two days later, they're crushing it in the same spots that I was fishing. So it's really one of those things that you kind of have to time and you kind of have to be lucky uh, and fortunate enough to, to hit it at the right time. Uh, and I mean, I know that the, the windows are really short and the, uh, the places in the estuaries that the bass, the big bass sit are almost eight to 10 feet long. I mean, it's tiny, tiny sections where there's gonna be bigger bass. That's why it's so hard, especially where I'm at, to really catch some big bass in the estuaries. But you know, last year I was fishing one day and um, I was planning on going out that, that night or the night after, uh, which is what I ended up doing and got skunked. But I was throwing a huge 12 inch, that green Danny plug right up there and in the estuary. And I was had this huge bass following in behind it, kind of like hitting and nudging it a little bit, but not really going after it. And it was massive. It was probably 40 plus inches. I was freaking out. I was so ready to hook into it and he never ate it and that killed me. But I'm super excited for this season because I really want to focus very hard on getting a big fish in the estuary and I really want to focus hard on getting a big bass off the beach. Two areas I'm not very proficient in, I want to get more proficient in. Uh, there's many different beaches around uh, Cape Ann and uh, I'm going to really fish them hard and I hope that I can kind of piece them together. Uh, again, it's like small windows, spots within spots type deal um, to get uh, big fish off of a lot of the beaches. And it's very time oriented. Uh, so I'm, I'm, there's just a lot of things that have to go right for it to work, but I'm excited to really uh, put in some time in the estuaries. And if that's at the expense of me catching bigger fish, if I was fishing off the rocks, I might have to take that sacrifice. And that's something that I feel like I wanna do this season is really learn in that regard. Uh, and really force myself to fish those key tides and key spots on those beaches. And hopefully I can actually pull some solid bass out of them, but we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm super excited to uh, start this season. Um, and then, yeah, I guess one of the other things I really wanted to talk about was um, lights. Cause I get this question a lot. So 
I primarily fish two lights when I'm fishing. I have a neck light, uh, which I fish a Pelican and the, it's just a Pelican neck, neck light. You can kind of look at the ones that they have. It's a waterproof one. Um, I, I have tape over it. If you're watching, I tape uh, some surgical tubing around it. It's easy to go over the neck, it's stretchy. Uh, it's not gonna choke you out. Um, so that's good. And you can kind of, you know, grab it in your mouth and like, uh, and then use it. It's a very bright light um, and uh, it's very good around your neck. But, uh, you know, the thing is that everybody talks about is they're always very specific about like, I guess for me, it's always about redundancy in my lights because you never want to be stuck, especially off the boulder fields and the rocks, like, you know, a mile away and you have to hike back and it's a new moon and there's no light and it's foggy or rainy out. You just can't see a foot in front of you uh, and have all your lights die. So I also have been using this UK underwater light. Uh, and the cool thing about this is I'm not necessarily as worried about fishermen, like alerting myself to other fishermen. It's more about the landowners for me. Uh, that's kind of the, the most the most difficult thing I have to deal with. So when I'm using this, it's very bright and it kind of will allow the landowners to see where I'm at. Uh, so like a lot of people, I like to have a red light. And the cool thing about this is it's a pretty dim light, uh, which I actually really like. Uh, but the other really cool thing is, is it's a fixed thing. Uh, so there's a shade that kind of pulls down here, as you can kind of see there, there's a, a shade that pulls down on this and you can, you can, by twisting it, you kind of like twist up this red shade and that will like keep it from being a, a red or a, or a white light, uh, which is pretty awesome. So it's kind of fixed. So I know whenever I'm turning it on, it's very simple. Whenever I turn on my light, uh, it's going to be the red light. It's not going to be this huge bright white light and uh, I know I'll be able to easily unhook a fish or put on a new plug, not alerting landowners, not alerting any fishermen that might be in my area. It's something that's very uh, very important in some instances because it's really frustrating when you're on a really good bite and then police are called. That's always never a fun time. Uh, and most policemen are also fishermen too. So if you're trying to keep your spot secret, sometimes that's tough as well. Um, anyway, so I feel like I covered really what I wanted to cover and hopefully this podcast is not corrupted and I don't have to delete this one as well or else I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to scream because I mean, I really have done too many podcasts without uploading one. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this podcast. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in and listening uh, and hopefully I'll be able to get back into my regular schedule and do one a week uh, as the season you know, creeps closer and closer. Uh, I hope you guys start to get onto some bass and start killing it, killing it. And uh, I'll see you guys next time.